Hey everybody, this is Dave Broadback. I'm coming to you live. Well, it's live right now. It's recorded for you. But coming to you uh, from what I have often called my podcast studio, which is actually uh, my daughter's bedroom, old bedroom. Anyway, uh, the lecture you're about to hear is for Psychology 3196. All right, so today we'll talk about learning. Hope this shouldn't take too long, and then we can line a bit of personality divide and drive back up towards me. Um, so the first question you can ask, actually, how many people here are taking learning right now with Lori? Anybody? Yeah, a couple of you. Anybody taking it before with me? That would have been like probably not because you were all small children then. So you take learning with me? I took random behavior. I'm not learning. So, you might have asked this question. Maybe Lori asked this question earlier on in the course. What is learning? It's actually not an easy question to answer. My favorite definition is is that some event at time one influences behavior at time two. And obviously, time two comes after time one. Um, this is a decent definition. I've heard others. I just this is general enough that I can talk about everything here from something like habituation to like language learning, and they all sort of fit into this. So I, I like it. Um, basically, often we're talking about two general kinds of learning here: classical and operant conditioning. Um, classical conditioning is when you have a conditioned stimulus paired with an unconditioned stimulus. It's Pavlov, right? So you get the CS, which is the buzzer, not a bell, and the US, which is food in the mouth, and that elicits a response, and that response is salivation. Right? Eventually, the buzzer alone will elicit salivation. It's classical conditioning. Operant conditioning is when a behavior is reinforced, it becomes more likely. Right? So Rat pushes little bar, gets food. Now when rat pushes bar, it's more likely, now the rat is more likely to push bar because it gets food. There is a problem that it's circular and that what's a definite, what's a reinforcer? It's something that increases the likelihood of a behavior. And what increases the likelihood of a behavior? Reinforcers. Oh, it's, in fact, it's entirely circular. Um, the nice thing is now we actually know how the reinforcement circuit works in the brain. If you take the brain behavior theory, you take the neuropharmacy, you know about the mesolimbic dopamine system, and we need to go on too much about that. Anyway. Point is, these are sort of two types of learning that people talk about. There's this thing, I don't know if people don't understand this. These magic things for locks, they're called keys. And what you can do is unlock the door. Do you know actually that violates the fire code having something in the world like that in the world? Just saying, I don't break locks. Except ones I disagree with, like lots of them, but <laughs> no, I'm not gonna get into it. Like what's 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 the problem with dealing heroin from your office? I don't think that's an issue. I kid, I kid. Do it from home or in the garage. But Okay. So you know about that classical opera conditioning, that's intro psych stuff. We've all read into it. One of the key things that people talk about for the longest time 
was the notion of equal potentiality, which is a wonderful made-up word, which means that any response, if you want to think about this in terms of operative position, can be reinforced. Or in classical imaging, that any two stimuli can be connected together. The notion then is that any, generally then, is that any two events can be connected. Any two events can be connected. Much more a thing that the people that did opera and stuff thought than classical, but the, the classical people thought it too. Oh, let's go back. More on that. So, the problem here is that. Shit. The problem here is. Okay, stop. Little touch. The, the issue here is, in fact, that that's a crock. <laughs> it's not true. So it's hard. You can't teach. Well, it's hard to teach a rat, or even less use the better example, a hamster. Uh, that grooming behavior leads to a shock. So you can't punish it away. You can. It's really difficult. Because grooming behavior is intrinsically reinforcing. You cannot teach a raccoon to put a coin in a piggy bank. If you're thinking, where the hell did that example come from? It comes from Breland and Breland, 1961. A paper called The Misbehavior of Animals. This is, people were so convinced of this, they called it misbehavior. They were training raccoons to be in storefront uh, displays, and this was at a bank, and the idea was you reinforce the raccoon, you take a coin, put it in a pea bank, and people would then, of course, want to put their money in that bank? I don't know. That's why we have service charges, I think, is to pay for things like that. Um, and it worked for a while, but after a while, people wouldn't put their, no, not people, the raccoon, by the way, kind of cute, right? Because he's like, he's got a mask on, it's like he's a thief, and he's putting his money away. Okay, whatever. Uh, turns out, in fact, after a little while, they wouldn't put their money in the piggy bank. What they would do is they would take the fake money and they would kind of half put it in and then put it in a burning ticket and then sort of rub their hands on it. They're treating it like food. And raccoons don't store food. This doesn't work. It's not true. But it's a classic sort of standard social science model kind of approach. It's like, oh, anything can be hooked up with anything. So it just simply is true. There are species effects. There are species effects. So one of the things that then happened, questions on that before we go on? Make sense? So there are questions, one of the questions people asked when they started doing animal learning was, what animal is smarter than one other animal? In fact, when Thorndike did his first experiments with cats and puzzle boxes going back to the late 1800s, he was trying to determine if cats were smarter than dogs. It was the first thing he was doing. So which animal is the smartest animal? People have looked at things such as serial position effects, short and long-term memory in rats and pigeons, among other animals, but usually rats and pigeons. Rats are cheap and easy to get. You order them. By 10, you get one free, typically. And I'm not kidding. They are FedExed to you. 
They come in a box, and actually you think, well, what about water? They're, it's like jello water. So they don't get thirsty. I remember ordering some rats back in Newfoundland and getting a call from the front desk saying, Dr. Bradbeck, your package is here. I said, oh, I didn't order a package. Your sting's inside it. Move it. I said, oh, that's my rats. How long is shipping? Like how long oh, it's almost shipping? it's over, like overnight kind of thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like, it's not like you, it's like UPS round. Yeah. It's just yeah. weeks. No, no, no. Yeah, it's, it's next day. And you, with rats, you can say I want them between 200 and 225 grams. I want uh, all males, or I want all females, or whatever. I want this cheese height, and it's it's you know pretty stiff. And with pigeons, pigeons live a long time. Easy to work with. There's an implicit question being asked here. If you're doing that, all looks like like look look. First day with the new lips. So, serial position effects. You know that about memory, right? Early things and late things remember better. Um, short long term memory. Yes. Sorry. Uh, no. What is serial position effect? Serial position effect is like if I give you a list of words, you're more likely to remember the first words and the last words in the list, and not so much the more the words they know. Yeah. Yeah. The implicit question being asked is, can rats do what humans do? Can rats do what humans do? Actually, on the surface, this seems almost like a sensible question. If you completely misunderstand evolution, this seems, oh wait, this seems like a good question, right? If you think of evolution being like a ladder, and we're at the top just below angels, who then then there's God. And everything else is trying to become us. Well, then rats are lower than humans, so we should see if the rats can do it. The basis for this question, then, is that, that there's an evolutionary ladder. It really is. And in fact, this was pointed out a long time ago in a paper by Campbell and Hodos in 1969 called... Where is the comparison in comparative psychology? Because comparative psychology is when you're comparing learning on in different species. So as we know, evolution isn't a ladder. Right? It's a tree. It's a little tree. What kind of tree are you? I'm a tree of life. My daughter has the tree of life tattooed on her arm. It's a family thing. Do you have a tattooed on your arm too? Do you have any tattoos? God. Can I, I imagine it hurt. <laughs> yeah. I think tattoos would hurt. My my uh, niece has a tattoo artist. So I'm sure she'd be great, but I don't want to get hurt. I pierced my own ears. Wait, you did it yourself? Yeah. At the bar, no. I did one in a bar because nobody believed I did it myself. So I just said, ordered me a shot of vodka and I took one of my earrings out and sterilized it in the vodka and just poof those in my ear. That probably grew more than it does. Yeah, Perhaps. I, yeah, but it's quicker. But it's quicker. Bang, it's done. I'm going to sit there since we. And then like, after a couple of those, I go, okay, that's enough. And all I'd have is a couple of dots, and I'd constantly think I had melanoma. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, true. You know, the rest of my life, you're like, oh, what's that? Oh, no, it's, that's when I, when I chickened out on the tattoo. Chickened out on the tattoo. There's a sentence I have never said before. So there's no goal, as we know. That idea 
the idea of there being like this ladder is wrong. So instead, like a better question, thought change. Better question is what has driven some species to be able to solve a certain type of problem? Let's look at it evolutionarily, right? So let's look at this question from an evolutionary perspective uh, correctly. People thought they were looking at things from an evolutionary perspective, but they really weren't because they misunderstood evolution. So what selective pressure then have, have led to the evolution of certain cognitive mechanisms? Right? So asking what species is smartest is pretty silly. It's silly. That unfortunately knows a dead lake. Was from the Discovery Channel. They used to do this thing where people would, they, you ask for it, people would call in or email in or whatever and say, "What? Here's a science question. Can you ask a scientist?" And a person asked, "What's the smartest animal?" And I got, they, they, they contacted me, and my answer was, "That's not a very good question," which was probably somewhat, I don't know, not very good. But I said, I don't know, Clark's Nutcrackers can still store 30,000 seeds and recover 25,000 six months later. As impressive as that is, I've never seen a Clark's Nutcracker invent civilization or drive a car. So, but they don't have to, and we can we don't have to recover seeds. It's a silly question. They put it on the air and on their website, which they've not taken down. Basically because of me. Um my ego is so not that big. So if we're going to compare species on learning, let's say we compare two species in some task, some learning task. How do we know any differences we find in cognitive ability, like one species does better than another, are due simply to differences in motivation? Right? And what I, what I mean by that is, like, if I give you, I don't know, let's see. So I'm going to try to get you to do some task. And it doesn't involve marks or anything, it's just trying to remember some of these things. And, I don't know. Some of you like, who here likes the, the, the anime? Who likes the anime? You like the anime? Okay. So Diamond likes the anime. Who? So you like the, okay, uh, there's a, uh, uh, what's the name of that? There's a streaming service called Crunchyroll, right? You heard of that? Okay. So if you do all the right, you get, I'll give you a month of, of a subscription to that. Now, who here hates anime? I'm Anybody hate it? Like, really can't stand it? Okay, good. So, Curtis. Also, so if you win, if you get it right, I'll give you a one-month subscription to a streaming service of content you hate. She's going to do better than you because she's more motivated. It's also true when compared to species. not saying there's two different species, both humans. Yeah. But some, let's say you're using some kind of food and one species likes it more than another. <clears throat> right? So if you're using bananas and you're comparing chimps and nothing doesn't like bananas. And some banana hating item. Cats. Cats are an obligate carnivores. They wouldn't like bananas as much as, as, much as a chimp would. Chimps don't do that. Right? Okay. So Bitterman have this notion that what we would do is we would compare 
Pop. Trying to be charitable. Uh, what Bitterman said was that we can, if we do enough tests, we can then rank order species on their intelligence. And then someone pointed out to him that he said that. He said, I didn't say that. And you look in the article, he didn't say that. Um, and it's like monkey like, rat like, pigeon like, fish like, turtle like, or whatever the hell it is. Which is he's ranked order order species. But he says, do a lot of tests. Do a lot of tests, I like. But then saying there's some sort of general intelligence difference between species I don't like. Let's go with that. It's back in the 60s. Some people still think this way. Though fewer and fewer of them happen. A guy named Ewan McPhail had this idea that in science we always start with the no hypothesis. That's not his idea, that's a thing. There's no effect. No difference between two species. So no difference between two species on learning. But remember this, if we find a difference between two species, what if it's actually due to motivation? Oh, so if you find that Clark Stockcrackers can remember more than Dark Eyed Junkos, one source food. Maybe that's because the Junkos aren't motivated enough. Oh, oh, oh. So McPhail said this, and a lot of people bought into it. One person who did was Al Kemp. By the way, whenever you Google him, you come up with a whole bunch of things from like Saudi Arabia about Al Kabir. I don't know what that is. So there's Al, and he's holding the clerk's nutcracker. I do a very good alchemical impression, which is meaningless to almost everyone. But it's, uh, it's quite good. So that we talk. You can't actually go on tour with a bunch of impressions of people who do comparative cognition. It just doesn't. I once hosted, me and my friend Rob hosted a, like a, uh, a roast of our professor at, at, at which he was getting like a Lifetime Achievement Award, and we were killing, like we were funny and we were drinking, and then, in fact, the bartender said, you guys get free drinks from us at the conference because you're so funny. And he said, you, you should be on, you guys should like, be on tour. And I said, you know, there are about 230 people in the world that get these jokes, and they're all in this room. And no one else finds these jokes funny, or these impressions funny. No, you guys are really funny. No, you're laughing because everyone else is laughing. It's called social facilitation. Psychologists are such buzz killers. And then you start laughing again. Yeah, and then he's like, you guys are great. Here's another beer. Yeah, yeah, really, but we're not that funny. So Al said, there's a real flaw here. You're setting up a, a null hypothesis you can't reject because whenever you find a difference, you go, well, it doesn't count because motivation. So the question is, I, I have for you, Dr. Camel. It's not him. That's just a picture of him. Is he always wore suspenders. Probably still does. He's retired how do we fix this? And what Al said kind of goes back to Bitterman. If, if Al was here, he'd probably hit me for that. But it kind of does. Because he says, we test many species in many different paradigms. Okay? Many different paradigms. And I'm, I'm, everybody be with that. But 
if we find similar differences in many different tests, it's unlikely it's always motivation. So, okay, we're comparing Curtis and Diamond on, on, on cognitive ability, right? Which I do when I give you guys tests. So, I have a whole spreadsheet set up comparing just the two of you. <laughs> it's a joke. It's a joke. It's mostly not just others of you as well. Uh, I run so the, the apartment runs a pool. I'm kidding. We don't. Just Paul and I do. But and that's also a joke. We would never do that officially. So, if I'm comparing. Curtis back. And that was like with, the, with the subscription to Crunchyroll, that's motivation. But if, let's just say that, and next time it's 10 bucks. Well, 10 bucks is 10 bucks. Anybody's going to be motivated for that. And the next time it's, uh, what's something else? A granola bar. I like Who doesn't like? Who doesn't enjoy a granola bar? Depends on the color. No, it's maybe the Nature Valley sweet coffee ones that I basically Yes, I chill them in. They're basically just candy. Let's just stop calling the granola bars. It's a chocolate bar. Enjoy it. Oh, I'm guilty. I have to eat something that says granola in it. Um, but look, if I start getting the same pattern of differences always, and let's say that pattern is that I can probably rule out that it's always motivation. Right? And this is what... Al Camel said, is that error cancels. The idea is that it's a source of error. It's something, it's a statistic, something we don't, we, we haven't measured, and that's really motivation. But sometimes Curtis is more motiv motivated than Diamond, sometimes Diamond's more motivated than Curtis. That should cancel each other out with enough tests. Make sense? Right? That's just sensible, isn't it? And then what we'll do is we'll look. This is where the whole thing. And now, now we're the, the diamond uh, uh, Curtis is going to fall apart because their life history, evolutionary biology, they're the same. They're humans, um, and their neuroscience and psychology. That's what we'll do when we want to make comparisons between species. We're going to look at all these things. And the stuff I talked about the other day, talking about the cognitive differences between food story and non-story birds, uses this approach. So I'm going to look at hippocampal volume, and I'm going to look at their life history. In other words. Where, what kind of problems they solve in their daily life. And I'm going to look at behavioral stuff. And I'm going to ask what sort of differences should have evolved. Okay? And I'm going to make predictions, unlike the other way of doing learning experiments, which my old professor, Sarah Shuttleworth, called rather derisively, I might add, the anthropocentric program, which is basically you're just trying to anthropomorphizing all the time. And say, can rats do this? Let's find out. Instead, I'm going to say, I bet this species can do this and this one can't, and here's why. Do you see the difference? By the way, that was a controversial position 25 years ago, which seems like, what? Excuse me? And now, in fact, most of us think like this. There are still the holdouts that do the other stuff. We all laugh behind it. Not really. Really right to the faces. No, we don't. We're all very nice. I will say, though, when I first met Al Campbell, I was at a conference, I was an MA1 student. I'd been in grad school for nine months, and Sarah sends me to this conference. It's this huge thing. There's all really important people. We're just invited to speak, and the rest of us sit there and listen and learn. And then I met him for breakfast along with Sarah, and she introduced me, and I was like, wow, you're that guy. You know, I, I love your, your, your stuff on this approach you're taking. And then he, he said, uh, it's nice, blah, blah, blah. That afternoon, we're sitting, and it's, everybody knows everybody in this field, right? 
it's like 80 of us in this room, and a guy gets up and says, I really like Ewan McPhail's approach to, to comparing species. And he yells across the room, there's one in every, every crowd! Right, Broadback? And I'm like, I'm just a kid. I'm 22 years old. Everybody stop looking at me. So we just it was great. I mean, looking back on it, it was awesome that he like was trying to make a joke with some kid he first just met from like literally from here where that tree is. He's yelling across the room. Everybody's looking. Who's what's Broadbent? Who is that? We don't know who that is. Oh, that's the graduate student wearing the motorcycle boots. Or <laughs> it was a different time. It was the style at the time. We also tied an onion to our belts. So. Not everyone gets the reference, and that's something you did. So, we're making predictions. So, the food storing story that I told you about, we predicted we would see differences in spatial tasks, but not non-spatial tasks, and that's what's happened. Cowbirds are a great story here, because cowbirds are nest parasites. A nest parasite is an animal where the, male, the female lays eggs in another species' nests. That's not nice. And then abandons them and gets the other species basically to raise her children, raise her young. Male does it. Male's job is sperm. They don't build nests either. Guess what? Females have bigger hippocampus than males. <laughs> and in fact, they're better at spatial tasks females than males. Of course they are. They have to remember where all these nests are and what the state of every nest is. You don't go laying your eggs in a nest that already has young in it. You lay your eggs in a nest that has unhatched eggs in it. Right? You have to remember where they are. So the females are better than the males. Right? Very cool. Make sense? You wouldn't predict that sex difference in the standard approach, which you do in the what we call the synthetic approach. Voles are great. You know what voles are? They're little uh, rodents the size of your hand and they can they'll bite your hand off. There are many different species of voles, but here are two. The pine vole and the meadow vole, which sounds like it's going to be like a Stuart Little story, but Stuart Little, nobody? Okay, so, or the Littles, remember? You did that as a kid? The Littles? There's not Stuart Little, there's also the Little, there's two different things. That's so 2001, Dave. No, not the, no, the littles are like from 1950. So. Oh, <clears throat> Read those stories at school. Not Stuart Littles. It's weird they went to the same thing. Today, it'd be lawsuits. Back then, nobody cared. So, the pine vole, they're monogamous. One male, one female. Meadow voles, on the other hand, is big, they're in big meadows, and the males have a. They're, they're polygamous. There's more than one. More than one den that has his young in it. So he has to remember where more homes are. So you would expect what? You would expect he'd be better. The sex difference in this case would be that males would be better than females at spatial tasks and a bigger hippocampus, but only in meadow voles, not in pine voles, and that's true. Very cool. See, so the evolutionary pressure of their life history. This, the problem they're solving has caused a change in behavior and in prey. Ever needs. So remember we talked about general process learning at the beginning of the course, and I said that, you know, 
it's assuming that all species are the same. And they aren't. They just aren't. So like I said, for our, here, the, from an evolutionary perspective, it's crazy to think that all species would be the same. Right? Okay, questions on that stuff before we wrap up the literature. I told you it's a quick one. Then we'll go on to the person. The only question I had yeah. was uh, the food storage stories. So would that be a hippocampus being relatively larger than those that don't? Yeah, and the fact that they do better on spatial tasks or, or, or pay more attention to spatial information. So one of the keys about all this stuff, and I've gone back to this as a theme really, is that learning is modular. So we probably have, and this will be a lot of animals, but it certainly includes us. We have a module for spatial information. A module, again, is like a cognitive organ. We have a module for time and a module for number. These are things that are pro, uh, that are uh, what's the word I'm looking for uh, properties of the universe. Eh, properties of our that's what the universe. When you have the Sarah planet, properties of the universe. So we should be able to we should we should we should be processing spatial things somewhat separately from time and somewhat separately from number. And evolution should affect these things differently. Right? So we expect, per, for example, when we have a sex difference in humans, that was when we say that that affected the spatial module. When would new modules evolve? That's a neat question. This could be in any species, not just humans. When would a new module evolve? Well, Sherry and Schachter said that new ones won't evolve until a, a problem comes up that the animal has to solve that can't be solved with the modules it has right now. So, for example, birdsong. Um, can you solve bird song with this sort of, in other words, birds learning their own species specific song? Which happens, it's interesting, birds like robins sing like robins and chickadees sing like chickadees. No matter what you do to robin and have it raised by chickadees, it doesn't learn to sing like a chicken. It doesn't learn to sing like a robin properly either, but it doesn't learn robin song and it doesn't learn chickadee song. There's something special going on with that. Same thing with humans and language. We probably have a language model. Right? So if that's the case, these things have evolved because general process learning, operate classical conditioning, or associative learning, if you want to call it that, can't solve the problem like something like, say, learning personal or learning language. All right. You okay? No, don't be sorry if you're sick. Get that. Get that. Get that.
I'm sorry to say this to you. It's horrible. Hey, Questions? As long as you don't think I made you sick, content of the course made you sick. I feel for you. All right. Questions about this before we move on to personality? It is an awful flu. Avoid it. If you can. Okay. Personality. You're thinking, wait, now we're getting outside Dave's comfort zone. I have a personality. And I would remind you, I've been told, see, to be a big personality, and I've been told that before, means, well, a friend of mine once described it like this. You just want to be the most interesting person everyone's ever met. Which I think I took as a compliment, but I think it was backhanded. Um... I did take a personality class of two halves of personality in five. So, 84, 85, 85, 86. You put your birthday up. We know how old you are. I'm 52. I was born June 23rd, 1965. Yeah, I know what day. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's the day that... That's the day history stopped and current events began. June 23rd, 1965. Oh, so now we're at... Uh, a... After day? 52 yeah. after day. Yeah. Yeah. That's what that AD stands for. When eventually I become ruler of everything. Better than Perlgun now. Can I say that last? I believe in democracy, please. Okay, personality is consistency across situations. I learned enough in that personality class at Western in 1985 that I remember this is a pretty good definition. Would anybody challenge that who's taken personality more recently than your instructor? Probably not, right? That would be something you would say in a personality class. I think. The situation, of course, plays a role, and somebody like Paul, who's a social psychologist, will tell you right away that personality, or sorry, that the social situation plays a role too, and to deny that would be you're an idiot. Um, or, as I said here, use the technical term, a moron. But, to deny that. There's also constants about how people behave would also be stupid, right? So you can't deny you. So while my behavior is different at home than it is at work, right? There are still constants about my behavior. <laughs> so when I get home, when my wife gets home rather today, and she says, what's for dinner? I don't start a lecture. Well, here's a PowerPoint presentation I've worked out. Dinner. about the stew I'm making in the pressure cooker. Which I will then thicken with a roux and top with uh, some puff pastry and I'll make like a beef pot pie. What do you think of that? Sounds pretty good, right? So, I wouldn't do that, but, so that, that's a change, that's a situation. On the other hand, I'll make eight or ten sarcastic comments. Maybe not that many. I'm a real joy to live with. Um, I don't even like me. I, I just I don't know how she puts up with me. Every morning I wake up and go. Is she still there? Uh, no, I, I got past about five years ago. I stopped. But um, we've been together thirty years. I'm kidding. 
<laughs> yeah, it'll be 30 years this uh, July. Are we 2022? Yeah. The rest of us are all single. Well, we were, we, we were like in a relationship. We, we met on July 1st, 1988, on Canada Day, which makes sense that she's a Francophone and I'm an Anglophone. It's our little national unity project. Uh, and that's when we celebrate our anniversary because we lived together a long time before we met. Um, so, and yeah. that's why Quebec hasn't separated. That's right. <laughs> that's right. And that's why separatism went on the decline because we got together. <laughs> I like to think of it that way. I like, uh, you know, as we all know, correlation is causation. So, <laughs> so it, there are constants in my personality, but there are. The, the, the situation affects things too and to deny both of those things would be stupid you will hear really hardcore social psychologists or you used to say that there's no such thing as personality I've, there are papers that have basically that title you'll also hear hardcore personality people saying ah, social psychology is a big waste of time nobody really says that so much anymore it was a crazy time in the 70s but most of the people back was the 70s. They're mostly just going to discos and starting cocaine. So, I mean, it's a different time. <laughs> yes, that's all the 70s were just discos and cocaine. And Blue Oyster Cult albums, if you were off and doing a different thing. Um, so, let's fo- focus on what makes us the same, humans being the same. So, what's the same about individuals, not what makes us different? That's. I'm trying to say here is that there are some generalities we can say about humans not what makes what's different and what's different is interesting it's just not what I'm going to talk about today so differences big ones big evolutionary questions as well but we're talking really about species level questions so if we're going to do that let's see what makes humans humans Okay, so one of the things about this is we, there are differences, though, between people. Right? In their personalities. Some people are quiet, some people are loud, some people are funny, some people are boring. Right? To use technical psychological terms, some people are boring. <laughs> so, why is there variance in personality? That's weird, right? Like, there's no, there's very little variability in how many fingers people have. There's, there's some, but there's very little. I have an ant with 11 toes, so there you go. Really uh, there's very little variability in height compared to personality. There's, there's an average height of people, and they're roughly the same. People are, you know. Well, here's an idea. It could be normal variation around some optimum. It could be there actually is an optimal kind of person, a combination of traits that make up a personality. I'm not saying I know what it is, but there could be some optimal. So this could just be variation around that. And the optimal value changes over time. We are evolved to solve the problem of living in the EEA, and we don't live there anymore. Okay. There's also what's called frequency-dependent selection. If you are going to be <coughs> let's think of it. 
Okay. Be really, really, really serious. You know, there's people like that. They don't laugh at anything. Everything's serious and important. But I, I don't mean like they're also just yelling and self-important. And, you know, why are you thinking about that? Those kind of people? So like a plateau effect? Well, it's more like that. There are some people like that, and the only way we're going to notice those people that are like that is if they're very rare. The only way it's going to be something that's going to be advantageous to them, being always serious, almost not everybody's always serious. The situation sometimes calls for getting around and having fun. And there are people that are like, yeah, well, I don't know, life has no meaning, and I long for the release of death will bring those kind of people, you know? Existentialists like hanging with John Barth. That was for you. Uh, sometimes I make jokes just just because they're English major jokes, and I, I I've read a lot of books on them. But it's like it's like hanging with Kurt Vonnegut. So the thing is, for that to be noticed and to be interesting, it has to be rare. It stops being an advantage. Let's say being attractive to the opposite sex purposes if everybody's like that. And there's a lot of cases like this in nature where being uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The uh, being really aggressive like really super aggressive like fighting <laughs> all the time is only good if it's rare. Because you're going to win every confrontation. Being, because if everybody else is kind of docile, you're aggressive, you win all the time. But if everybody else is aggressive, you'll all end up fighting all the time and getting hurt. Hawks and ducks, for you guys that took animal behavior. So this is what we're talking about here, is frequency-dependent selection. Sometimes some things are only advantageous if they're rare. I don't know why I picked the serious person that's an existentialist. I, I just went with that. I don't know if that would be a case of that or not. What is existentialism? Uh, believing that there is no value in anything. That existence is simply... Existence. Existence is simply about choices. So life has no meaning, but therefore, the question that gets asked is, why not kill, kill yourself? But then the choice to kill yourself is a choice. So the choice to live is also a choice. Is that close? Literary, right? When you think about existential literature, like that, right? Uh, somewhat, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's experiential as well. It's like there's no, there's yeah. no deeper meaning. It's just simply being. It's this expression. Yeah. Yeah. Just there. Yeah, life has very little meaning. Nothing has any meaning, really. It's just it existence coming. itself that has meaning. But that's just because you exist and you choose to keep existing. <laughs> I find those people somewhat annoying. They're no fun to be around. Why not? Because I'd rather that people. I just I don't find that to be there them to be a lot of fun to be around. They're very morbid. Morbid. It's not just morbid. It's just like. I mean, it's somewhat. People will say to me though when you if someone says to me what's the meaning of life and I say to pass on your genes, it's gonna be hard questions. And it's like. People don't like that either, so, you know. What would that be classified as? as but that, that's just being an evolu- having an evolutionary perspective on things, that's all. Yeah. So they don't agree with that? Oh, who my, I don't know. I don't know. So the point of life is to give life? No, to give life. The point of life is for me to reproduce. I don't care about you. 
<laughs> no, I'm serious. That's, that's an evolutionary approach to things, right? Okay, so let's talk about intelligence, because this is something that a lot of people are concerned about. Frankly, in some offbeat sort of way, I kind of rate this. I do this all the time. It's my job. I rate intelligence. I hate to think that, but that's actually what I'm doing. I'm discriminating. No, it's my test. You could argue Yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. That's, yeah, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. That's, right. that's all tests are. So a lot of people say it's not an, it's, this is an intelligence isn't a personality trait, but I disagree. Uh, not everybody says that it isn't either. Uh, I would say it actually fits the bill pretty nicely here, right? Because it's, it's about how you solve problems. Here's some questions people ask, or here's a question. Is intelligence one ability or many abilities? I don't know. <laughs> That's up in the air. Um, is there general... Uh, so the other end of this is, is there something called G, which is a general intelligence? This is the idea that while there may be kind of sub-intelligences, there is some <laughs> overall general intelligence. Oh, yeah. Sorry, isn't no, that please. kind of what IQ attempts to do? Yeah. IQ tests attempt to measure both the sort of sub... A lot of IQ tests have things like a verbal and a quantitative subscale, uh, but then they also will give you an overall score, which is basically the G. And like the aptitude tests and stuff, right? Aptitude tests are different than the intelligence tests, though, right? Oh, okay. That's yeah, because they see how, how well you would... Well, it's aptitude versus achievement, right? Yeah. Aptitude can you do it, achievement, what do you know? Like, I give you guys achievement tests, Yeah. which probably correlate with your... Aptitude with your intelligence. They well, certainly, well, I'm sorry, I know they do because I've seen the data. There's all kinds of data that show that school grades correlate with IQ like 1.6, which is unreal high for personality. Right? But yeah, good point. It's probably hierarchical, which is in the middle the idea that there's a general intelligence and there's some other intelligences below it. I like that notion because it's not taking one. Because I, uh, you know me, I'm afraid to take a stand. So, no, really, I just think it's sensible that there's a general problem-solving ability, but then there are some abilities that use some of those, those general abilities. Does that follow? That makes some sense. It's also the idea that there are sub-abilities fits with modularity. Okay? So, I think there's G at the top of the hierarchy. I think there is general intelligence. Right. But I think there's also these sub-abilities. Make sense? But that's just what I think. I'm not saying it's right. I just, that's what I think. I've seen data that suggests it pretty strongly, so there's also that. But I... It fits with a lot of things I believe as well, so I'm just going to say that. So it looks like this. Something like this. We've got ideas like Spearman, who also invented Spearman gum. Now that's Spearmint, and it's an entirely different thing. So Spearman had the idea of G. Thurston had the idea of different abilities. And this is combining the two. Like, so we got we G at the top, general intelligence. Then we got verbal comprehension, verbal fluency, numbers, spatial ability, memory, perception, and reason. 
What is perception? Like the way you can, like a concept, you can visualize it? No, it's your ability to perceive objects. Or, like, so seeing and hearing and all that stuff. Seeing, oh, visual. Yeah, you got to get stuff in the system before you oh, visualize, see, right? And that's an intelligence as well? No, it's saying it's like a subpart. part Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's going to be affected by G. This is the evidence for G comes from something called factor analysis. When you look at how well people score on what are these called these subscales, they they share variance in factor analysis with each other, and that shared variance we call G. Okay, so it's a statistical class. So what this also says, for example, is we'll have people that have trouble with number or people that have trouble with verbal things. Okay? So we say if someone has trouble with one of these, just one of them, or two of them, one of the subscales in the intelligence test, we call that a learning disability. Right? And justifiably so, because they're okay at everything else. If you're bad at everything, we don't call it that. We have other names, right? But if you're just lousy at one of these, and some of us aren't, it's like, well, I can't do that. It's just not a thing I can do. There's something <laughs> you know, I hooked up properly somehow in that one small area. It's not going to kill me because accommodations can be made to solve that problem. Dave? Yep. Uh, spatial would be like, for example, uh being able to put a ball for a hoop 10 feet away? No, no. It would be more like things like the... Uh, is that a letter? Yes. But it's yes. Sideways. Yes. Is that a letter? Yes. No, it's not. Because when you rotate it straight up and down, it's not a letter. It's a backwards arc. In Russia? It's, no. <laughs> In Russia. What? You go back to Russia. That's one of my favorite things people say, used to say. In the old days. Yeah, I don't think exactly. No. In Russia, it'd be more like, you know, they got the three, the backwards three. That's a letter. And then this is a letter. That's Greek, too. Oh, that's Greek, See, so that's a spatial task. It's called mental rotation. Right? It's your ability to envisage, to, to imagine spatial things and to deal to, 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 to manipulate spatial things. Uh, yeah. <coughs> Where would that apply to in like a real life situation? Like a mechanic? How do I get from here to there? Here. So I, have to, I have to envisage here to there or whatever there is. And I have to be able to imagine it. Yeah. Root planning. Oh, navigation. Yeah. So the question you might ask yourself is, are there other intelligences other than these? These all make a lot of sense for humans. Right? We've got these verbal things that other animals aren't going to have, and then we've got these things that other animals are going to have. Right? We've got a couple special ones about verbal things, about speaking. Notice how none of those mention reading. Because... Written language is a human construct. For, uh, uh, the ability to speak and to understand spoken language, that's something that evolved. 
Okay. Are there other intelligences? What's creativity? So let's start with that. A lot of people say, well, what about creativity? Tell me what creativity is. Somebody tell me, give me, a, give me an idea of what creativity is. Coming up with a definition for creativity. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> hey, wouldn't you call that reasoning? But, uh, no, no, that's okay. Keep, keep talking. I'm, I'm just trying to figure out. Like to generate novel ideas, I think was uh, novel ideas. Okay, I like that. Pulling things from the ether, so to say, from nothing. So, but what what about the ability to sort of connect things that don't seem connected? Is one another possibility? I don't know, maybe. Wouldn't that be more reasonable? Yeah, it's hard to think of things that don't fit with those other things. That's what I'm saying. That don't fit with those other things. In the, in the, I mean, I don't know. The problem with creativity is there's no agreed upon idea of what it is, so there's no agreed upon idea of how to measure it. I can certainly tell you, for example, okay, who here agrees that Leonardo da Vinci was creative? If you don't, you're an idiot. Don't. Put your hand up. Come on. Okay. Who here agrees that... Let's take another paper. Mark, let's go with Mark Chagall. My favorite. This creative. Sure, Chagall was awesome. Some of you are going, I've never heard of Mark Chagall. That's okay. You're just a philistine. Okay. <laughs> Who here would agree that Shakespeare... Yeah, sure. We'd all agree on those. Who here would agree that Isaac Newton was creative? Hell yeah. And Isaac Newton and Charles Darwin. Hell yeah. Okay, what do those people have in common? Oh, wait a second. Very curious. I was going to say they're all men. And they go, Good. Not affected by toxic masculinity. I can use all those words. I don't know what they mean, but I can use them. We would agree. Wayne Gretzky is creative. You ever watch him play hockey? Hell yes, he's creative. Not anymore. He's still better than me. Sure, all those people are creative, but what do they have in common? I don't know. <laughs> it's hard to figure what Wayne Gretzky and Mark Chagall and William Shakespeare have in common, other than, in that case, all their both being men. But if we threw Marie Curie in there, now it all falls apart. Huh. So this is the problem. I can't define creativity. It's one of those, I know what it is, but I can't tell you what it is. Like, you know what Apollo 13, which actually happened, it wasn't just a movie, when they're figuring out how to make an air scrubber, right, and all they've got are like binders and pieces of plastic and gaffer tape, and they figure out how to make an air scrubber out of that because they're brilliant engineers that work for NASA, that's pretty damn creative. Right? We'd all agree on that, but is it the same creative as Shakespeare writing a play or a sonnet? I'm not sure. But we'd all call that creative too. Huh. So this is the hard part of creativity. Okay, what about domain-specific abilities? So some people are good at one kind of thing. So I don't know, like... Uh, Oh yeah, uh, my dad could literally build anything. He's one of those people. 
But even better, my brother can play any musical instrument. He can literally play any musical instrument, having never played it before. He can pick it up and go, oh, this is a, oh, this is one of those Buddhist things from Tibet. Oh, this is how you play that. And you go, how do you do that? And his reply is always the same. How do you not? Which is really helpful and somewhat pretentious. Like, how do you not do that? It's like, I don't know, Dan, way to go. That was really helpful. Thanks very much. When you go jewel, more than being Dan Brodbeck, you're very impressive. Professor Brodbeck never finished high school. But better? Same. Like musical ability. Some people just play anything. Like, yeah, anybody can learn. We can teach a monkey to play piano. Not well, but you can teach a monkey to play piano. But some people can just play piano. What's going on? I don't know. Is that a kind of intelligence? I don't know either. I don't know the answer to that. What about non-school things? Mostly IQ. Who's taking an IQ test? You know you've taken one. I've taken a couple. Yeah, some of us have taken them. They were basically school-type reasoning questions, weren't they? Right? You do this thing, it felt like you were writing a test in school. What about non-school things, right? What about the ability to... I don't know, pick a lock. <laughs> I don't want to pick that. I really don't. What a strange thing to say. I've never picked a lock in my life that I would tell you about, and I don't know how to do it. Anyway. I think my daughter has lock picks because she thinks they're cool. Like, I don't know. What about emotional? You've heard, heard of emotional intelligence. Emotional? Did I say emotional? <laughs> what about emotional intelligence? That's like emotional intelligence that's very motivating. It's emotional intelligence. Have you ever heard of emotion? You've all heard of emotional intelligence, right? Is it a thing? Emotional? Yeah. So you're good at making mimosas? Yeah, mimosas, mostly. So you're really good at mixing orange juice and, and, and champagne. Yeah, what emotional intelligence. We've all heard of that, right? This idea? But is it a thing? Could be. Yeah, maybe. That's I think the research generally says, yeah, maybe. Well that goes along with their uh, theory of colors as intelligence, no? I don't know, does it? No, I don't know that. That's why I'm saying I don't know, does it? Yeah. Okay. Sure. What, what is your opinion on this? I don't know what the on emotional intelligence? Yes, based off your knowledge. I think I don't know if I'd call it an intelligence. That's what I'm saying. If I think of intelligence, I like to define intelligence like this. It is novel problem-solving ability. Okay? That's not what that is. The ability to keep your emotions pretty steady and be, uh, respond appropriately at the appropriate time in an appropriate manner emotionally, I don't call that intelligence. I call that something else. We, you want to call it emotional intelligence, you can, but I don't think it, is this, it, it fits in with the other stuff. So it's essentially a control you have of your side. Yeah, it's partially that. But, but there are times when it's sensible to lose control, right? But some people don't have a degree of emotion. No. Of course. You, and, that, and that aspect that you I don't think... Well, I would think of it like, for example, I, my, my son has autism, and the smallest thing can make him have what's called a meltdown, which is not something you want to see. It's not pretty, especially when a guy's bigger than me. Um, like he's not taller than me. He's just bigger than me. Uh, the day's going to come at one point, by the way, where he's going to look and go, no. And I'm going to go, okay. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, but until that day comes. But see, the thing is, he doesn't respond emotionally appropriately sometimes. 
right? Um, like the smallest thing, okay, here's an example. When two people say exactly the same words at the same time, when they, he calls it a unison. You did a unison. Now, there are weird things that bother all of us, right? That are like stupid, and we know they're stupid, and we just let them go, even though it's like, God damn it. Some people don't like, I don't know. A pet peeve. Yeah, yeah, it's like just a little annoying thing, and you realize you shouldn't let it bother you. With him, that makes him, that's it, his day is now ruined. Like, it's wrecked, and he will be screaming and yelling, and he's a man. He's a big guy. He's, like, almost 17. So his response is anger. It's anger. It's crying. It's everything. When I, when things bother me, let's, if, if, if something like that bothered me, and it doesn't, but if it did, I would walk away. Right? If someone, does, if someone at home doesn't change the toilet paper, I don't like that. I think it's like, how can you be so lazy to not do that? It takes two seconds. But then I realize, if it takes two seconds, why should you worry about it? Right? So for, the, for a couple of seconds, I'm like, just whatever. And I do it. Because I have enough emotion, we'll call it emotional intelligence, to not go, you stupid assholes didn't change the freaking toilet paper. What's wrong with you? Why do that? Is this a hill I want to die on? Probably not. So I call that emotional intelligence, if you want to call it that. It maybe isn't stability. I don't know what it is. There are times when it's completely appropriate to snap. But you have an innate ability to, to do that. That's my no, point. we all do, I think. Well, well to, but that's what I'm saying, like, to yeah. a certain extent. To, to one way or the other. Yes. Yeah. Doesn't emotional intelligence also include, like, empathetic responses? Totally. And stuff like that? So totally. So that kind of go into problem solving? Totally. Use that? Yeah, and I think that's where... It overlaps with intelligence, and that's 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 the argument where that I like when people say the ability to put oneself in another person's shoes, not just theory of mind kind of way, but also like you said, emotionally, right? Like I see how you feel and why this is bothering you, right? That ability to do that, and again, that's something I sign in real trouble with because he has a disorder um, that he knows he has. Um, because of that, it makes you think, yeah, it is kind of, that's the argument for it being a kind of intelligence. Yeah. The thing is, things that measure this, quote, uh, EQ, your emotional quotient, it's like IQ, but they don't necessarily, depending on the answer, correlate with IQ or not. It is, a, I, I think it's a characteristic, don't misunderstand me. I'm saying, I'm, I don't know, I'm not sold that it's an intelligence. This may be just a distinction without a difference, though. It's interesting stuff. So perhaps, is what I'm saying about all these things, is maybe they are intelligences. Yeah, they probably care, they probably have something to do with intelligence. But they needn't. But they can still be personality traits, right? Now, I've got to remember something, too, that a hunter-gatherer's IQ would be different than the hunter-gatherer's ability on an SAT or a GRE. So if you took somebody somehow, you went back in time, and you, you get in your time machine. I'm developing a time machine, but I've already said too much. But if, once I get in my time machine, and I go find some hunter-gatherers in Savannah of Africa 200,000 years ago, and I bring them back here. And I give them not a verbal intelligence test, because they don't speak the same language I do. But I give them the Raven Progressive Matrices test. You know what the Raven Progressive Matrices? It's patterns. So there are 15 items, and you have to figure out what the 16th one is. 
and it correlates really highly with like the whisk and the waist. Like it's a good intelligence test. Fake score just fine. I am convinced that they're like you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. On the other hand, I think if I sat down and said, "Here's a G, here's the, G, the GRE verbal," I think they have some trouble because they wouldn't know how to read. Or if I said, "Do some calculus for me," well, nobody's discovered calculus yet. So it'd be a big difference there. So you got to remember, there are two different things here. There's ability, like this sort of aptitude, that's the IQ thing, and then there's achievement, that's what the SAT is or the GRE or whatever, or a school test in school. Right? Like if I walked into a class on, I don't know, what's something I know absolutely nothing about. Right? It's pretty academic, but I know nothing. I don't know. About English. I, I speak English. I never took English University. It's like, when am I going to go to England? <laughs> but I can read. I took English in grade 12. <laughs> grade 13 took a couple of those delayed reaction jokes. That's good. Um, I could sit there and try and follow a lecture. That'd be fine. But when I got down to writing a test, I'd go, I don't know. Because I don't have any... I can, I, can write, so I can write proper sentences. That's right. But I, I don't know the terms. I don't know the stuff. Right? Okay, why do we have variation? Tell? It sounds, seems to me like, oh, I don't know, problem-solving ability, which we could say is not a generally accepted definition of intelligence. That sounds pretty adaptive. Why? It sounds like as adaptive as being able to, you know, speak. Why are there variations in this? Like, we have, there is variation, right? As you know. Well, people say brain size. Oh, there's a very small correlation between the size of your brain, corrected for your body weight, and your IQ. You know what? It's so small that I don't think it matters. Like, it's really, really small. I always think of, um, you know, Mr. Burns with the calipers out measuring Smithers' head. Of course, Smithers, you've got the brain head of a stagecoach tipper. Phrenology, right? Within species, this is hard. Between species, the hippocampal stuff we talked about earlier, that's fine. But within species, this stuff really doesn't work very well. It's a polygenetic trait. I think that's almost certain. There's no way there's a single gene that does problem-solving ability. Whereas, whereas there is a single gene that gives us five fingers and five, five, five fingers and five fingers. It's literally a single gene. This way you see very little variance in that. So it's probably many genes. There are also a lot of challenges during development. So we all don't have ideal development. So when, when you're uh, in utero, but also even afterwards. Not everybody's development is going to be ideal. There's challenges, but even it's everybody's a little bit different. They're 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 developed with their childhood, their toddlerhood, their fetushood. Fetushood is a word I believe I just invented. Brains are expensive too. I've talked many times in many courses about how your your brain is the most expensive organ in your body. So. Maybe it's not worth spending all your metabolic resources on your brain. Okay? 
There's other ways to be successful. Okay. So that's just some notions about why we have very... I think most of those are from the book. So there's some implications about having an evolutionary perspective on intelligence. One of the things you have to realize is that we learn things in school that are evolutionarily novel. Calculus is my, my favorite example of calculus because calculus, we know when it was invented. Leibniz and Newton, two different guys, yeah, discovered is probably a better word for it because calculus existed. They, they found these patterns and they, they discovered they made this new kind of math. It's novel. Your ability in calculus correlates with your ability in your IQ. There's no doubt about that. All these school things do. But we learn things in school that are evolutionarily novel. For example, well, nobody learned about the theory of evolution by natural selection until, you know, all 1858. It's just enough because it, nobody voted down yet. So that's something we have to keep in mind. We also have variation. There's much more variation in novel things. When we look at school ability. Reading. Right? Reading is evolutionarily novel. We invented writing. Like, we don't know when, but there, there was a time when there was no written language, but there was spoken language. We invented mathematics, or you might want to say discovered, but that's fine. Arithmetic, simple arithmetic, is one thing. Doing math is something entirely different. And we see a lot more variation in school grades in, among rural kids in math and in reading than we do in other subjects. This shouldn't surprise us because these are evolutionarily novel. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Which is kind of cool, too, when you think of it that way. So language learning and counting, the ability to learn language... No. I can sit here and tell you at what age everyone in this room, pretty much everyone in this room, by the time you were three, you could use us to complete sentence. I don't care what language you learn first. Because that's how language learning works. It's not what culture is, but language, language learning. Even if you're learning some crazy language, right, that has 27 verb tenses that are only used on Thursdays or something. Right? You ever see things like Georgian? Or, or like Azerbaijani, some of these languages are, they're crazy. You can verb tenses for things that I didn't really need verb tenses for. Little kids speak fine. They can learn it. Counting. Everybody can learn one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You can learn how to But then you start to get to things like take the, the first derivative of this polynomial. That's hard. Right? Evolutionarily novel, so we would expect more variation. All right. So some other personality traits. Other than intelligence. So how many personality traits are there? A lot of people like that, that big, big five thing. You got openness and conscientiousness. And I flipped this thing. Speaking of novel evolutionary problems. Extroversion. Agreeableness. And neuroticism. I don't know if this is good. A lot of people like the big five. Right? 
Now, no matter how many other personality traits you think there are, these seem to vary a lot more than, say, intelligence. And in fact, the data show that, no matter how you're measuring them. Now, part of the problem might be that these things aren't as easily defiable. Right. So why is that the case? Well, these other personality traits are much more what's called facultative. It means that they're affected by the environment a lot more. If you're in a situation where food is really scarce and you grew up that way, like just the way it is, for, it may not be sensible to be as, quote, agreeable with others because of your fights a lot. Then it would be, it would say, when you're growing up in Western Right? Could be. So, what is optimal? For these traits, even if and we'll pretend to be five and to be all and end all, I don't care. It's going to change a lot more than it is intelligence. Look, what's optimal for intelligence? Lots of it. No matter what your situation, being able to solve novel problems is good. Right? Even if you wake up and it's 500 years later and you'll have an IQ of 107 and you're the smartest man alive. You're still then idiocracy, right? You're not the smartest man alive. Everybody thinks you're great. It's got electrolytes. It's what science praying. I love when the guy goes, I don't think that's true. He's not even really sure, but he knows that probably shouldn't be putting salt on plants. It's what plants praying. I love that part. Very good. Scary. It's it's a running joke in my family. We always say electrolytes. Um, See, the thing is, even in that case, the guy with the 107 IQ is the smartest man in the world. That's that's good for him. World's kind of in trouble, but it's good for him. President Camacho. Um, But so lots of intelligence, good. Lots of agreeableness, openness, or neuroticism. It's going to change depending a lot, a lot more depending on the environment. So maybe that's why there's a lot more variance in those kind of personality traits. Hi, we're going to get through it. Okay, so many factors influence personality and intelligence. Look, if you want, we'll call intelligence something different. We'll say it's not a personality trait. That makes you happy. Because a lot of people don't like thinking of it as a personality trait. I just think it is one. It's just a different special one. It makes some sense to discuss it separately, though, because it's something that everyone can agree There's a, the, the best level of it is the most you can have. If we sat here and said, what's the best thing to be about being agreeable, we'd probably get some argument. Or being open to things, or whatever. Evolutionary approaches to intelligence are becoming pretty much generally accepted now. The idea that it's, it's problem-solving ability and that we're going to look at things that have been around a long time and then more recent things like school ability while it'll correlate with intelligence, especially when it's things that have been invented by humans, things like, say, math and, 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 and uh, writing, so reading and writing, are going to be things that are a little bit different and you're going to see more variability in them because they've been invented more recently. They've actually evolved. 
Questions on stuff? Okay, we caught back up. Finally. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. listening to the lecture um all of the audio is available of course on itunes or whatever podcatcher you're using just search for da- uh, dr dave broadbeck's uh, psychology lectures in algoma university which is the most ungainly title ever uh these are released under a sh- uh, uh, creative commons copyright share like 3.0 canada uh you can't use these for commercial purposes um you feel free to share them uh and feel free to mash them up any way you want but if you do that that means i get to do the same thing with your stuff 
sort of like the GNU license. Um, I hope you learned something. But if you didn't, I, unless you're one of my students, I really don't care. Um, the music, by the way, for each uh, song, for each uh, uh, episode, <laughs> lecture, uh, is uh, available. They're all podcast, uh, like Podsafe music. So if you want to uh, find out about the bands, there's links on my website at people.aoc.ca slash broadback. Uh, if those links don't work, just contact me and I'll find, uh, I'll find out. Um, often I put links uh, actually in the... Uh, if you want to call them show notes or blog posts. So, uh, you know, buy these people's music. They're, they're making the stuff available out there. Uh, thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time.